0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you. My name is Luke, as John said. I'm the associate campus director here at this campus of Alpine. Uh, And I feel like every time we get up here at the pulpit, we say the exact same thing to you guys. We just say, welcome to Alpine. We say it every week. But the reason we do that is because we love to say it. We really want to say, welcome to Alpine. And we are so glad you're here, especially if this is your first time. You've picked a great week to join us. We're in the middle of our, our series through the book of Mark, uh, and it's been a long road through this book. We're in chapter 12 now, and we've spent most of this year in it. Well, there's been so much good spiritual meat for us to, to digest. It's hard to believe that some of the most important passages are still yet to come. But we get to dive into one of those today. It's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, and this is the passage where Jesus famously answers the question, what is the greatest commandment? This passage takes place after a couple of other questions have been asked uh, of Jesus by the religious leaders of the time in Jerusalem who are looking to trap him and are looking for a reason to try him against their religious law and kill him for blasphemy against their religion. And I want to start by saying today that It is foolish to take any passage of the Bible out of context without appropriate context, I should say. What that level of context is can be debated, and it certainly varies from, from situation to situation. But it is important to provide adequate context to take anything out of the Bible. And that's actually what we get to see Jesus do today when he answers this question. And for our purposes today, I think we need just at least a little refresher on the passages immediately before this one. Two weeks ago, Pastor Dean came up and spoke to us about biblical finances. And this can be kind of an uncomfortable sermon to to hear at a church when you hear a pastor whose salary is paid by your giving and they start talking about giving more. But our pastors don't talk about your giving because they need it. They talk about your giving because Jesus did first. And Jesus had had a lot to say about it when the Pharisees asked him a question about taxes and what it means to give taxes while also giving to the kingdom of God. And they were trying to trap him with their convoluted rules, seeing if he could figure out the right answer in this situation. And then last week, we heard what Jesus had to say about the resurrection and about marriage in the resurrection. And this is, the resurrection is a point in history when we Christians believe that Jesus will come back. He will resurrect us with new bodies and we will be judged before God. And then we will either pass into heaven or into hell. And that depends entirely on whether or not you truly knew Jesus. And he spoke about this after the religious leaders again asked him a convoluted question, trying to trap him in all these conditions to see if he could answer the unanswerable. Now, if you missed either of these sermons, I would encourage you to check them out. They are available on any podcast platform you listen to as Alpine Church Sermons Podcast. You can find any of the pastors at our church speaking any week um, on on that podcast. And again, it would do you well to listen to those if you missed them. Because they were great passages, and they were great questions that Jesus answered. Both times meant to be a trap for him, but he blows through this trap with thoughtful wisdom. And he does the same thing this week. Someone asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers with such knowledge and wisdom that no one would have expected what he said. You might have expected him to say one of the Ten Commandments because we can all agree those are pretty big ones. And that's probably what the lawmaker who asked him expected him to say too. But Jesus doesn't answer with the Ten Commandments. And don't get me wrong, they are important. They are big ones. But remember when I said it was foolish to take things out of the Bible out of context? That applies to the Ten Commandments too. So Jesus answered this question with the context that make the Ten Commandments matter. He quotes other scriptures to support this. And as I read through this passage this time, planning this sermon, it made me wonder, could I have answered that question what is the most important commandment if I hadn't gotten to read what Jesus said first? Because Jesus, when he did answer this question, didn't say anything new. He didn't come up with a new answer, some new piece of information. He just quoted scripture. He quoted the stuff that religious leaders should have known. He quoted the stuff that I should know. And that brings up the question for us today, how well do you know your Bible? Pastor Brian created the outline for the sermon, and he included a bunch of Bible trivia questions, which I strategically left out because I didn't want to embarrass myself up here in front of you guys. (laughs) I didn't know the answer to most of these things. But that's okay, that's actually not the point. That's why he included them in this sermon outline, because they are trivia. They are trivial, just that. Trivial is something that is insignificant. There's a lot of people who know a lot of trivia about the Bible, but they're missing the whole point. There's people in academia who have their whole careers studying the Bible, and they don't even believe that God exists. But they know the Bible inside and out. So I don't want you to equate knowing facts with having a deep understanding of the Christian faith. Because many deep Christians tend to be characterized by Similar things. They have a lot of head knowledge. They know the words to say and they know the words that the Bible says. But they don't have any connection or influence on people outside of their church. They don't spread those words. And I wonder what Jesus would say about that. So the reason I ask you this question is not to make anybody feel guilty that they don't have the fruits of the Spirit memorized on the top of their head or they know Jesus' lineage all the way back to King David. I'm not talking about just facts. I'm talking about the context that makes those facts mean something. So let's get into our passage and see what we can learn today. We start in chapter, or in chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? when this verse says that the teacher heard the debate, it's talking about our passage from last week when Jesus was debating the teachers of the law about the resurrection. And these teachers of the law, or scribes as we can call them, would have been like lawyers today. They were experts on this religious law. They were very, very educated men who made their whole careers out of studying the Old Testament law. They transcribed it, they copied it, and they wrote commentaries on it. They took the job very seriously. They would make sure they had every letter and space written down correctly as they copied it. They're actually the ones who are in no small part responsible for our accurate translations of the Old Testament. And as they spent all their time doing this, they became known as the experts in the law. They were looked to by their society for its interpretation. And they were the ones who spent all their time interpreting it, so that makes sense and there was a lot to know. The rabbinic tradition numbered 613 commandments. So there was a lot to know, there was a lot to read, and there was a lot to interpret. In their interpretation, they, they categorized these laws by level of import, importance, which makes sense too. There's 613 of them. You need to keep track of which ones are more important than others, right? They categorize them into heavy and light commandments. And that makes this question make a lot of sense in the cultural context of the time. This scribe wanted to know what was the most important commandment. And he, who was an interpreter of the law, heard Jesus answer a question and was so impressed by his interpretation of the law that he approached him with a question of his own. This is the third week in a row that we have, we've seen a religious leader ask Jesus a question. But this time is different. Notice it's just one guy. It's just one guy who realized that Jesus was actually pretty smart. He realized that Jesus answered well in the middle of an unanswerable question. So it seems like he's coming with a legitimate one. Like maybe he's actually trying to do his job right. Right? He's trying to learn more about this law that he's supposed to interpret well for the people. It seems sincere. He saw a teacher saying very wise things that had never occurred to him. And he got curious. He probably had an expectation of what the answer to this question would be. He would have known every heavy and light commandment, and he definitely knew the ten big ones. So he was probably thinking, like, all right, is it don't lie? or don't steal, it's probably don't kill. That's a big one. But he didn't know, and to his credit, he knew he didn't know. So he checked with a man whose wisdom impressed him. He asked, out of all 613 commandments, which is the one that is most important? The pillar New Testament commentary helped me to understand the depth of this man's question a little bit more. It cites the verse, of all the commandments, which is the most important? This is not an entirely accurate translation, however, for according to the Greek text, the word all does not modify commandments. The sense of the question is thus not which is the most important commandment, but rather which commandment supersedes everything and is incumbent on all humanity, including Gentiles. So he didn't want to know which commandment is best. He wanted to know which one was more important than everything else in the world. This scribe who had a deep knowledge of the law and acknowledged that he might not have all the answers just because he knows the words. So he sought true depth of understanding from the mouth of Jesus. He understood that true depth didn't come from biblical knowledge alone, but a combination of both biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom. So let's see what wisdom Jesus had to share with him. We go on into verses 29 and 30. It says, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So this is how Jesus answers the question. This isn't in the Ten Commandments but it is in scripture. It's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, known as the Shema. Now, speaking of depth of understanding, I don't have time today to get all the way into the Shema and everything that it means. So I'm just gonna give you the summary. But if you guys have more questions about it or you want to dig a little deeper, we have a whole series, a word study on the Shema. And you guys can find it at pursuegod.org Shema or look at that or scan that QR code right now. It'll take you there. I would encourage you to go through that alone, with a mentor, or with a small group. But I'm going to put it up here for you now. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, 4, four through 6, rather. Listen, O Israel, the God, or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. So this was a prayer that Israelites were called to say every morning, just because it was so important. And it was well known to all Israelites, even the uneducated ones. And when you read here, you see it sounds like a prelude to the rest of the commandments. It is the context that actually makes the commandments mean something. And we see examples in the Bible of men and women who have kept this commandment well. In 2 Kings, chapter 23, verse 25, it speaks about King Josiah. Never before had there been a king like Josiah, who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. King Josiah loved the Lord by obeying all the laws of Moses. This gives us a bit of a hint as to what it really means to truly love God. The way that he did this is he was responsible for a huge religious reformation for the ancient Hebrews in the Old Testament. He ended the official worship of any god besides Yahweh. He turned the people back towards God with all their hearts, their souls, their strength. But let's break down what that means for us now. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a fourfold response to God. First, Christians are meant to respond with all their heart. The heart in ancient Hebrew was where they believed feelings and thoughts to happen in a person. They actually didn't even have a word for brain that we know of. So the heart was the center of thought and feeling. It was where human intention and desire resided. So we need to love God with our thoughts, our feelings, and our intentions. Next, the soul. As we understand it in our modern English language, the soul is the immaterial part of a person's being that continues to exist after the physical part has died. But in ancient Hebrew, it referred to the whole person, the essence of who that person is, what makes up their life, what they do day in and day out, their whole being. So we need to love God with our being. Next, we'll look at strength. The word in the Shema that's translated as strength is not referring to somebody's physical strength, of course, but it is saying that with all of the effort and power that you have, you should bring your gifts as an offering. That is pleasing to God. We should love God with our strength, our power, our efforts. And this is interesting, because in the original Shema, there are only three words, but Jesus added a fourth. He added mind. He included that a person's understanding should be focused on God as well. And this doesn't mean just knowing what the Bible says. I'll say again, we are meant to combine biblical knowledge with biblical wisdom. We are meant to study the word, yes, but that's not where it ends. Remember, the scribe that asked him this question had studied the word. He knew it better than 99% of the people at the time. He knew it better than probably any of us in the room. But he still didn't know the answer to this question. What is the greatest commandment? To love God. And this isn't the whole answer. Jesus continues on in verse 31. It says, The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Doesn't that feel like cheating a little bit? Like, the guy asked him for one commandment, and then he said two. <laughs> and to me, it's like when you ask somebody their favorite song or their favorite movie, and they're like, well, I like this one, and this one, and this one. I'm like, Stop! I want your favorite movie, I don't want more than one answer. That being said, when somebody asks me what my favorite movie is, I do say three of them because I think that all three of the Lord of the Rings are the best movies ever made. But I'm allowed to say that when they ask that question because I'm right. They they are the best movies ever made. So you can break the rules of the question when you're right. And Jesus broke the rules of this question because he was right. Right? He concludes, there is no commandment greater than these. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself, it wasn't from the Ten Commandments either. It was actually a kind of obscure verse from the book of Leviticus, but it's a really good one. It's located in chapter 19, it's verse 8. Now this section of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 19, at least in the NLT, is titled Holiness in Personal Conduct and it starts with verses 1 and 2 say the lord also said to moses give the following instructions to the entire community of israel you must be holy because i the lord your god am holy have you ever heard somebody in church or in your small group say something like that we are meant to be holy because god is holy well that's the part of the bible where it says that leviticus chapter 19 verses 1 and 2 and then it goes on to say how to do it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It can be a little confusing to talk about quotations like this about holiness because we can think, well, isn't God the only one who is holy? That doesn't mean we're off the hook from trying to be that way. Peter quotes the scripture again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. We are still meant to be holy because God is holy. And this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, was the original plan about how to do it. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus unifies these two into one, showing us what the true will of God is for his followers. We can see from the fact that Jesus quoted scripture that the nation of Israel had already acknowledged both of these commandments, at least separately to their people. But before Jesus, there is no evidence to suggest that they had put them together, that they had truly formed one commandment, the most important commandment that supersedes everything else. And these two cannot exist without one another. 1 John chapter 4 affirms this. It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. You can't truly love God without loving your neighbor's. And you won't truly love your neighbors unless you first know the depths of love that God has lavished on you. Now, whenever a pastor or teacher says something to you from the pulpit about how a Christian is called to live their life, you should never believe them if they tell you it's going to be easy. It's not easy to love your neighbor as yourself. I don't even love my wife as myself most of the time, and I like her. So make sure you know that every single one of our pastors here at Alpine struggles with this just like any of you do. We don't believe ourselves to be holier than thou. We believe that we're right in the middle of this struggle with you. It's a lot easier to talk about this than it is to do it. But talking about it is not enough. We need to be examples of this. I say again, 1 John Chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this commandment those who love God must also love their fellow believers. This is hard, but it's imperative. You could try to debate what it really means to love your neighbor. In the Gospel of Luke, in the passage where Jesus shares the the incredibly famous parable of the Good Samaritan, the Pharisees are trying to weasel out of this commandment completely by saying, well, who even is my neighbor, really? We human beings are so inherently self-centered and focused on our own survival, our own needs, that we want to look for excuses not to sacrifice for the well-being of others, because we've got enough stuff going on already, right? But that's exactly what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. It's to sacrifice for someone who needs it. And sacrificing means it's going to hurt. Just look at what Jesus did. Jesus, who is the Son of God, existed for eternity before the creation of the world, before the existence of humanity, in perfect unity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, needing nothing and wanting for nothing. And yet, when he saw a need for forgiveness here, he loved us first by sacrificing his life to pay our ransom. An almighty God who needed nothing, who was holy and complete on his own, loved us by dying on the cross. He stopped at nothing to provide us just the opportunity to accept forgiveness that we so desperately needed. Now, if he stopped at nothing, should our question really be, how do I love my neighbor? Or should it be, how can I stop at nothing to love my neighbor? Let's return to our passage now. We have a few more verses to read as we see what, what kind of response the teacher had to what Jesus said to him. Verses 32 and 33 say, The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. This teacher doesn't try to trap Jesus. He doesn't try to poke holes in what he said. He admits that Jesus is right he says, I know it's more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. And some of you might be thinking now, well, if that's the case, do the Ten Commandments even matter? Does the law even matter? Yes, they do. Jesus' answer was just as clever as it was wise. In quoting these two scriptures that he quoted, he summed up the entirety of the Ten Commandments into one. If we, we think about the Shema again, love the Lord your God, this adequately covers the first four commandments. You will have no other gods before me. You will create no idols. You will not use my name in vain, and you will remember the Sabbath day. And we think about the second part, love your neighbor. I think it's safe to say that to love your neighbor, you shouldn't lie to, steal from, or kill them, right? Right? So yes, the commandments in the law still matter, but Jesus has just told us how to fulfill them all in one commandment, by loving God, by loving others. And Jesus has one more thing to say to this man. Realizing how much the man understood, could you advance the slide for me, Laurel? Sorry. My remote's not working. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus' mic dropped so hard, nobody even wanted to come talk to him after. (laughs) Nobody wanted to embarrass themselves again, trying to win an argument against God himself about the words that he said. And his response this time is particularly interesting this man. Remember that he is talking to a scribe, a keeper of the law, somebody who in this society was part of the group that was authorized to pass judgment on that law. And Jesus displays his higher authority to do that very thing. He interprets the law to a law interpreter. Not only this, but once he's done doing that, Jesus changes the subject from the law, from the Torah, to the kingdom of God and to eternal life. He gives the context that actually makes these laws mean something. And this verse speaks to the man's understanding, not his knowledge. His understanding of what Jesus had just told him. So I want to close by returning to our, our question again How well do you know your Bible? Jesus couldn't have answered this question about the commandments if he hadn't known the Bible very well, if he didn't know where those scriptures were that he quoted. So yes, he knew the Bible like that. But equally important, he understood the heart behind the words. He understood why they were said. Unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, who only knew the words, and they didn't practice what they preached. I have one final verse I want to share with you. It's Matthew 5, 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been a scary verse for people to hear from Jesus about the group of people that they believed were the most righteous of them all. But Jesus is saying here, righteousness is not the same thing as simply knowing the words in the Bible. Knowing your Bible means understanding what it says. It means having a heart for Jesus. It means keeping his commandments by loving God and loving others as yourself. I know that speaking about keeping the Lord's commandments can make it sound like you have to work for your place in heaven. I want to be very clear right now, there is no way to earn a place in heaven. The only way to receive that is to truly love God by entering into a relationship with him. But I also believe that you can't truly love God unless you keep his commandments, to love him. And you can't love him unless you love others as yourself. And I believe that you must truly love God in order to spend eternity in heaven with him. If you have any questions about this, if you want to gain a deeper understanding of what it means to keep his commandments, please come talk to a church leader after the service. This is one of the most important things that Jesus ever spoke about. So please don't leave here with unanswered questions today. Let's pray. God, I lift you up. I exalt you. I praise you. I I thank you for answering these hard questions. 2,000 years ago, so that we can see the answers today. Thank you, Jesus, for the example that you are and, and looking for the meaning behind the words, God. I ask that you would give all of us here today in the congregation a hunger to seek after that understanding, God. And if, there are anybody, if there's anybody here with questions right now, that you would give them boldness to come ask, God, that they wouldn't leave here without at least talking about it, God. I ask that in your name. And I ask that you would help us to truly love you in our pursuit of this wisdom, God, and to love our neighbors as ourselves constantly, day in and day out, no matter how hard it gets, God. I ask for endurance in that for all these people here. In Jesus' name, amen.